Owen McGee is my name and this is Understanding Money, the podcast that hopes to bring you through the macro world of economics, what's in your news cycle about money, what's all that stuff maybe you don't understand at all or you just want a deeper understanding of when it comes to money. We're going to try and dissect it, make it simple, understandable, but most importantly what we're going to try and do is to help you to take control of what you can control. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the really big stuff. This is episode one. So we want to talk about where is the world at right now? We're going to talk to Jim Power, economist. He's going to give us a run through of the big stuff. Where's Ireland? Where's interest rates? What are the big threats that we're facing as a global economy and as an Irish economy? Then we're going to talk to Amanda. She's going to bring us through with the Q&As, the questions that you've sent in. I'm going to answer them hearing them for the first time, so let's hope I don't get caught off guard and we're going to answer those questions. And then we're going to talk to Neil. Neil is going to tell us all about his personal journey, where he's at. He's in his 40s, still living at home. Why is that? And finally, today, I'm going to give you, like I will every day, I'm going to give you some tips and tricks about what you can do to control what's going on inside your door now that you understand what's going on outside your door. Jim, I don't think you need any introduction. We know you from our airwaves. We know you from TV. We know you from your name at the top of or the bottom of reports. You're very well known to a lot of people, but you're an economist. And I'm not sure everyone might see Jim Perrow, but they might not know what economist is. What is an economist? Okay, I've worked as an economist in the private sector for 35 years. Uh, I was clearly very young when I started. (laughs) But um, what we do as economists, we try and analyze what's happening out there in the economy. And at the end of the day, an economy is made up of all of the economic transactions that occur on a daily basis. So when I go in and buy a cup of coffee, that is an economic transaction. It becomes part of economic activity. Um, One of the, I think, misconceptions about economists is that we're capable of forecasting the future. We're not Economics is a social science. It's driven by human behavior. And as you know from your TV series and working with your clients, people do not always behave rationally. Yes. So you are dealing with a lot of human behavior. You're dealing with political events, but you're trying to analyze you know, what's happening in an economy because at the end of the day, one needs a functioning economy to generate the resources that fund everything else. So economic activity and the taxes that flow off that economic activity and the wages that are paid to people who engage in economic activity, those are the resources that are used to fund the health service, education, the roads, all Mm. the other infrastructure and so on. So we're trying to analyse what exactly is being created. Can you improve the manner or the quantity of what is being created. And then we try and analyze what would be the best possible use of those resources um, to achieve the best possible outcome for as many people as possible. And unfortunately, it is a very subjective subject in the sense that what I would regard as a very positive outcome, you might regard as not so positive an outcome. So it's, it's difficult to reach definitive conclusions, but it's basically about analyzing the economic activity that's occurring out there and understanding how that impacts on our lives. Okay, so basically what you're doing is you take a measure and whatever way you measure it, you measure it's what's happening with people's money on a day-to-day basis. 
and you look at what they've done in the past and then you try and, I don't like to use the word guess, but you are guessing about what way they might behave in the future and how that might impact the economy, positive or negative, and make changes to try and make it positive. Yes, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, people's lives are heavily dictated by what's happening in the economy. You know, it determines what you're going to earn if you work. It determines what you're going to pay for goods and services. It determines the goods and services that are available. It determines the quality of life you're going to have. You know, can you have access to uh, proper health service, education, whatever. But also um, the economic environment determines where interest rates are. Mm. So over the last couple of years, uh, people have been dealing with a circumstance that they haven't seen in decades, which Mm. is inflation. And that inflation has resulted from economic and political factors, okay? Mm. But that inflation and the reaction of central bankers to that on the interest rate front has had a fundamental impact on people's lives. Yes. We build in higher inflation into our behavior. You know, as workers, we look for higher wages to compensate for higher prices. The vendors of goods and services increase their prices to compensate for the higher wages they're paying and it becomes a vicious cycle. In simple terms of what you're saying there is, as I'm saying to myself, oh, that was 100 euros last week. It's now 101 euros this week. I'm going to buy it before it goes to 102 and therefore it drives on inflation. It, exactly, exactly. Okay. That, that's it. If you believe prices are going to rise, uh, you buy today and yeah. that becomes I, self-fulfilling. I'm also on record as saying a couple of times, because it's my belief, and I'd like you to question my belief if I'm wrong, right? I do believe that if inflation is running at 8% in Ireland, whatever, 6 8%, wherever we're at right now, okay, that if you get a pay rise of 10%, well done, you've beaten inflation, okay? But if everybody gets a pay rise of 10%, we could really be in trouble. Do you question, do you think I'm right in saying that? Oh, I, I, th- I think you're absolutely correct because um, if you're getting wage increases that are higher than inflation or that are high full stop, you know, that just fuels demand. Mm. And when you fuel demand, that just exacerbates the upward pressure on prices. Okay. My understanding is, is that, or my belief, because I'm looking at it from individuals' point, point of view, if inflation's at 10% and you're making 200 quid a week on social welfare, and your shopping bill, just to make the math simple, goes from 100 to 110. Yep. That really impacts you, right? Yes. Whereas if you're on a thousand a week and your shopping bill goes from 100 to 110, it has less of it still impacts you, but has less of an impact of you on you. How much did the ECB think about that person when they're make, trying to get inflation rates back to two percent? Uh, the European Central Bank did not think uh, uh, about the sort of sectoral impact or the societal impact of higher interest rates. Uh, it, it is a blunt instrument, okay? They increase interest rates to dampen economic activity um, and there will be, you know, big losers from that. You mentioned social welfare recipients, for example. Uh, but the, the central bank view would be it is our job to keep inflation under control. It is the role of government using okay. taxation and expenditure to help those people that are most adversely affected by what's going on. And our social welfare system in this country, which is one of the most redistributive social welfare systems um, in the world, you know, we we do look after people, the, the, the victims. But inevitably, there will be people receiving money from government that don't need it. Yes. But it's, it's very difficult to be... Uh, to, to exactly be precise about where the help is going to be directed. But, you know, government is doing it here. We've had various costs of living 
packages mm. introduced. We will see another one in the budget in October. So government steps in to try and help those sec- sectors and sections of society that are most adversely ex- affected by these policies. Okay. That is not the concern of the European Central European Bank. European Central Bank is just get it to 2%, 2% inflation. so that you guys can do your jobs. That's exactly. Based, so, as in the governments of, of Europe can do their job in helping their own economies. Before I ask you where we're going to, where do you think we are in the world economically right now? Where are we in Ireland? Where are we in the world? Well, I, I mean, if you, if, you th- if you think about the world in the last couple of years, you know, we've been subjected to a huge escalation in inflation, the highest level in 40 years. Interest rates have increased dramatically. You know, they've gone from zero to four and a quarter percent in the euro area. They've gone from 0.1 to five and a quarter in the UK. They've gone from zero to five and a half percent in the United States. This has all happened basically in a 12, 18 month period. That is a dramatic tightening of interest rates. Okay. Um, One might have expected the economic impact of that to be a lot more severe than it actually is. And that is what's worrying central banks at the moment. Actually, the global economy is still doing reasonably well. Is there any chance and that's because people haven't seen the impact of it yet? And I'm just giving you an anecdote. There, there, there is a time lag, absolutely. Yes. It, yeah. it, it takes 12 months for an interest rate change to fully feed through the system. And that's why, in my view, central banks should now take the decision. We've tightened rates enough Let's sit back and see how this materializes over the next 12 months. Uh, but at the moment, central banks are still in panic mode. I think they are going to increase interest rates a little bit further and then see how that washes out. Um, the global economy this year is forecast by the IMF to grow by about 3%. Right. Um, 5% will be sort of the potential. So it's growing below potential, but it's 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 still reasonably stable. Over the next 12 months, I would expect the global economy to slow further because that's what central banks want yes. to get inflation under control. I would expect unemployment globally, which is currently at very, very low levels, to increase a little bit. Because Which is interesting because this time last year, there was a lot of talk of global recession. I know we had technically a recession earlier on this year in Ireland um, in terms of farmer dragged us into recession. Technically, am I correct? Yeah. Technically, yeah. GDP yeah. contracted yeah. two quarters, yeah. Yeah. Um, so where do you see is that that narrative has kind of disappeared we don't have a fear a big fear of a global recession anymore do we not well no I mean the the global economy has actually surprised on the upside over the last couple of years there is no doubt about that given all of the headwinds that it has faced particularly mm-hmm. the inflation and the interest rate response to that the, the Irish economy you know has performed really strongly some of the indicators are really good for example, you know, last year we took in 83 billion in taxation. This year we're probably going to take in more than 90 billion, which is a record high. And there is no greater indicator of what's happening on the ground in an economy than the tax Tax. that's being collected. The labour market is really hot still. We have 2.64 million people working, which is the highest level of employment we've ever had in this country. The unemployment rate is at 4.4% of the labour force, which is virtually full employment. So those two indicators are certainly suggestive of an economy that's doing reasonably well. But even consumer spending, which has weakened a bit, it is still holding up reasonably okay. well. So we're not in a bad place then. No, no, we're not in a bad place. Mm. But uh, never, one can never get complacent about this because you know, for a small open economy like Ireland, external factors can have a huge impact. So um, I, I think the, the 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 really important piece here is 
that um, while the economic outlook is quite positive, um, I think it is really important that government continues to support those parts of the economy that need support. And, you know, households, the SME sector, they will require ongoing uh, support from government. I want to just wrap up there in terms of the inflation and the interest rates. When we think about where we're at right now, we're in a good place. We, You are expecting that we may have one more rate rise and then your idea would be we might wait and see or maybe just wait and see right now. Maybe not even without the rate rise. Is that fair? Or you expect uh, you expect them to go up again uh, and then the, wait and see? The, the risk is the ECB will go probably one more time. Okay, so um, they go one more time um, and whether they do that immediately, I kind of have a thought that kind of, I, if I were them, I'd be holding it in my back pocket because if you're going to do it once, let's see when between now on Christmas we do it not necessarily at the next one and then we plateau for a while and see where it's going Um, you have that one in your pocket ideally that means people's interest rates in general shouldn't be changing but our banks have a little bit I'm talking about interest rates on their mortgages in general they should be staying level but they won't I don't believe and disagree with me because I think the banks will start to catch up we've gone from being the most expensive in Europe to being the third cheapest in Europe was the last time I looked at it so they're going to start squeezing that a bit and getting a bit more profit so that's where I kind of see I don't see interest rates coming down any time in the next 12 months and therefore mortgage interest rates in a normal economy wouldn't be coming, a normal functioning banking environment wouldn't be coming down in the next 12 months. Do we see hope for 2025 on interest rates? Do we see 2025, 2026? Do we think this is the new normal? Do we think, where do you think your head is at in terms of? Uh, I I think um, that there is this concept of a natural rate of interest. Mm. And I think for the euro area, the natural rate is around two and a half, three percent. And it's it's depending on what rate you look at, but the equivalent I'm talking about here is four and a quarter percent in the euro area at the moment. I think we've gone a little bit overkill. We will persist with overkill for a while. But in 2025, um, I would expect rates to come back down a little bit and normalise around two and a half, three percent. So is it fair to say if, if the ECB rate is the normal rate, if that's what it is, is two and a half, three percent, that mortgage rates are probably normal at around four percent? Is that fair in an ordinary functioning banking environment? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for the individual in and around four percent is probably the long term normal. But we don't know what surprises we're going to get hit with, of course. Well, yeah, that, that I mean, and, and that is the point. You can never be certain about this because there's always something lurking in the background. Um, you know, people might say, oh, wouldn't it be great to see interest rates coming down dramatically over the next couple of years? But actually, if they did come down dramatically, it would signify that the global economy yeah. was in trouble again. Absolutely. You know, the level of interest rates we lived with for up to 2021, really, was abnormal. Yes. You know, historically low levels of interest rates reflecting at a global level significant challenges. So there is a level of interest rates mm-hmm. uh, that is sort of consistent with a stable yes. economic backdrop. That's fair. You're ever the optimist. You've admitted that. You tend to look at the positive side of things. Final question. What are your big what ifs? What are your big what abouts? Your big fears that might threaten us that you can see on the rise and that could become a problem? Well, at a, at a global level, my big fear is global geopolitics. Okay. The world is a scary place at the moment. The relationship between China and the United States um, is becoming very, very dangerous. And I think given the Taiwan situation, it could become a lot more dangerous. We obviously have the ongoing war in Ukraine that's showing no sign of ending. So there's a lot of global politics at the moment that scares me. Mm. And unfortunately, political actions have economic consequences. And we've seen that from the Ukraine war, for example. So at a global level, 
that is my big fear because okay. that does impact on Ireland. Domestically, the things that worry me is we don't get on top of housing. Yes. You know, it continues to be a serious social and economic issue. And at the end of the day, you know, for a small open economy like Ireland, competitiveness is really important to attract foreign direct investment, to attract employment. We need to have a competitive environment. And unfortunately, I don't think we've seen enough recognition of just how important housing is yes. as an indicator of competitiveness. Yeah. And the IDA will now say that housing is starting to become an issue in terms of attracting employment into the economy. Yeah. So my fear will be we actually just keep doing what we're doing. We don't address the housing problem. So that's one thing. Second thing would be, you know, if the political landscape here were to change significantly and it was to become sort of very anti business, anti-entrepreneur, high-tax economy, that would very quickly drive economic activity out of the country. That would worry me okay. because political events do have economic consequences. Yes. We should never forget that. Ireland is in a pretty good place at the moment. There are significant problems with housing, with the health service, with law and order and so on. But show me a country that doesn't have these sorts of problems at the moment. It's universal. I think I would love to see Ireland actually taking a bit of a global lead in addressing these issues. Uh, and of course, climate change is the other big yeah. one that will fundamentally change things. So provided we continue to pursue sensible economic policies, you know, there's no reason why Ireland shouldn't remain a stable economic entity. Okay, you know what? I, I kind of, as you were talking there and I said, I've asked an optimist to give me a negative to finish on, but you actually finished on a positive. So, Jim, I really appreciate your time um, and your expertise. And thanks for coming on. You're very welcome, Owen, and best of luck with your podcast series. So I'm joined by Amanda. Amanda has had the job over the last couple of days to take the questions that you ask me on a Saturday on my Instagram Q&A and pull a couple of them, make contact with you guys and then ask you to give them to us in an audio format. That's where we've got the questions from. Amanda's going to keep me in check. Make sure I'm actually answering the question that you asked because these questions, it's the first time I'm getting to hear them. So I'm just going at it. Okay. So let's just jump in, Amanda. Amanda, for people, just for a bit of background, works with me in Prosperous and she is fully responsible for all the marketing that um, Prosperous does and some of the stuff that you see on my page as well and all across the Prosperous group. Hi, so our question is we're, we're currently living way beyond our means, spending all our savings um, and pretty much spending them on groceries. We have uh, one income and two kids under four. How should we manage our finances better or turn it around basically? So I think... The first thing to say, one income, two kids under four, maybe it's a choice one of them doesn't want to work. Um, maybe it's financial. Maybe it doesn't make sense for one of them to work because of the cost of childcare. Um, what that person's describing to me there, though, is, is what lots of people in the country are going through. It's inflation. Yeah. And we have this salary. Maybe that choice was made at a time. If it is a choice that one of them works and one of them stays at home, looks after the kids, if, it's a, if that was a choice at the time, it made financial sense at the time. But now with the squeeze of interest rates, and inflation, they're finding it's harder to get to the end of it. The big red flag for me there is, is that they are dipping into the savings. Yeah. Okay, go on. The one good thing I would say is that they have their savings there to dip into as well in order to, they're not dipping into or not putting something on a credit card or 
Yeah. But they are dipping into the savings, so they need to get to a point where they're getting back on track and the savings are yeah. going up rather than down. And one of the things we have to be very careful of here is the savings will be finite. When the yeah. savings run out, they are dipping on yeah. credit cards. They are doing, they have a bit of runway at the moment, right? And if if they didn't, it just sounds to me from that question that they are actually regularly dipping into savings. It's not that one month has hit them. It's that they're regularly dipping into their savings. And this has got the difference between cash flow and capital expenditure. And what I mean by that is, is your income should be able to cover your month. Mm. And when it's not, you have to dip into your savings. Your savings should be for capital events like we're doing up the house, we're going on a an unexpected trip or something that is not allowable to cover in your day-to-day expenses. And what this person really needs to address is they've got two inputs here. One is income and one is expenditure. The income is probably out of their control, but they can they could control it by one of them going back to work. I'm not putting that on them and I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that that's what that family needs to do. But income is less so in their control, but then you're back to expenditure. And if they're right at the pin of their collar in terms of their expenditure, if they've already stripped everything back out, that's a really hard thing to do in terms of where do you look next? But what I would suggest, and we're going to talk about this at the end, I really think that person's going to get a great bit out of our conscious versus subconscious spending that I'm going to wrap the whole show up with today. And I think that person needs to hang on. I don't want to say, here's what you could have won and here's what you're going to get later. But I do think that really the expenditure is where the focus needs to go on. And that's where I think they're going to get the win. Do you think I'm being a bit harsh on them there, Amanda? I think we could go into, if, if you could go into a bit more detail, I suppose, on what they could do with their expenditures. Thinking back to when we did the spring bean challenge. challenge. And it's something that they could... There's, there's lots of different things that they could look into. It's a short voice clip. We don't know a whole lot about this person, but we can't just think that they have gone to all their providers, say, for example, for bills. I actually and think, I, I admire you there getting the Spring Clean Challenge in there, which was one of your most yeah. successful campaigns of the year, Amanda. <laughs> well done. For people who don't know, the Spring Clean Challenge was something we did earlier on in the year in, um, yeah, in spring but it was on great. Instagram. Yeah. And it basically took week, day by day, wasn't it? A week, but it was a couple of steps that we said, this is how you're going to clean out your week finances. By week. We week gave by week. different tasks. Um, but it is something that you could look back on and it really took you from looking at what you're spending day to day, making you, as you said, you're going to go into the conscious versus uh, subconscious spending, all that. But I suppose this laid out different steps for yeah. you to... The, the step-by-step guide as to what to do now, yeah, what to do yeah, next, what yeah. to do next. And what I loved about that, actually, I think why it worked so well was because it was bite-size. We yeah. weren't asking anyone to de- devote a Saturday to doing no, this. This no. was a quick get in, get out, get away and move on. Yeah, and, and it was weekly as well. So it was, yeah. you do, yeah. you, you look after a certain amount. If you give yourself the mountain of trying to look into everything at once, yeah, it can be very overwhelming. But if you break it down into smaller tasks, it yeah. can be a lot easier. What I will say about that person is a whole pile of stuff we don't know. But what we yeah. do know is that this is not sustainable. Dipping yes. into your savings yeah, on a yeah. regular basis is a bad sign and they need to go and fix it. Let's go with the next question. Hi, Owen. Where do I start to plan my finances so that I'm covered for all my normal day-to-day expenses, but I also have something there for the unexpected so that I can try and stay away from some short-term loan for when something unexpected does come up? This, to me, is one answer. And that's buffer. Yeah. Okay, so let's just explain what the buffer concept is. This person's kind of going, okay, so I'm getting along, I'm kind of getting through my month to month, but sometimes I get hit with financial surprises. Financial surprises, I would say, 
I'm not going to say completely non-existent, but they are actually more or less non-existent. It's not a financial surprise. It was that you weren't prepared for this financial event. Like people would say, oh, I was financially surprised I spent so much on Christmas. Christmas has happened every year of your life, right? It's not a surprise, right? Or back to school cost me this. And I'm not saying, I'm not casting aspersions on people who can't afford back to school. I'm saying, telling me it's a surprise. It's not a surprise that you went on holidays this year in July when you've gone on holidays every July for the last 10 years. That's not a surprise. So it's about being prepared. And that's what a buffer does. So the concept of a buffer is that you have a pot of money. The gold standard would be if you've got a steady income, the household income multiplied by three. So if you're on the house earns, let's keep it simple, a thousand euros a month, you multiply that by three, that's 3,000 euros a month, 3,000 euros in total, sorry, is sitting in your buffer, okay? If the household has a very erratic income, say it's only got one income in the household, they're self-employed, they get paid some months, they don't other months, sometimes the job doesn't pay till the following week or whatever the case is, then I would suggest it's six times. And people used to say to me, six times salary sitting, six months salary sitting there, just not being used just in case we have an emergency. Then COVID happened and everyone goes, oh, six months salary, I get you, right? So six months salary. And then depending on your circumstance, you're going to be between three and six. Sometimes people go, I could never save three months salary and just put it to one side. And then they get put off by the whole idea. For that person, just pick a random number that's achievable, like a thousand or fifteen hundred euros. Mm-hmm. Just get yourself a buffer. The key and the learnings from a buffer come from the idea that let's say you've got your buffer, the home insurance bill comes in. Okay, it's 480 quid. You haven't prepared for it financially. You take the 480 quid out of your buffer. Financial priority number one after that is to get the buffer back up to where mm-hmm. it needs to be, okay? But the second thing you need to do is, is you need to set up, use like a vault or a space or a wallet or even a physical envelope if you want to go there and put 40 quid a month into it. And in 12 months time, when the home insurance bill comes in again for 480 quid, you're not dipping into your buffer this time. You're going for the envelope, whether that's a, an online one or a physical one. And you've got yourself prepared for it. That person seems like they're actually doing okay. They're just kind yeah. of getting knocked off track from time to time. And until the buffer's in place, they're going to continue to get knocked off track. Yeah, but fair play to that person as well for recognising that they need, they they do need to get their, their buffer in place. And I know you have mentioned, because you did say base it on income. Mm. It, it can daunting. be quite daunting for people mm. to think, oh, having three to six months of my income put aside. Yeah. I'm using that money all the time. Or, And you've also referenced it before, trying to get your expenditure that's in the, place that's first. That's the core, yeah. So, and then... So I think if you've no buffer today, the first step is to get yourself to, let's say, 1,500 euros, right? The next step then is, is to say, what's three times my expenses for a month? And then the next step after that is getting three times my salary for a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and get that into a thing. So I think that's the, I think that's probably a very conclusive answer for that person because it doesn't sound like they're really struggling. They're just getting caught off guard from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. It, I suppose it's just really sharing how people can get their buffer in place. Yeah. Yeah. And you could see from the, the first question we got in, people are struggling. Yeah. And that comes down to your control, your controllables. Yeah. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's go for the third question. I think this is a final question, is it, Amanda? Hi Owen, do you foresee interest rates reducing in the near future? So we had a conversation, so this is interest rates, my opinion on long-term interest rates, and I haven't really been very public about this, but now I have the confidence to be public because Jim Power is an economist and he agrees with me. But I kind of felt that where we are now or maybe a little bit less than this is probably our long-term average. Um, and I'd be happy to be a bit more public about that now in the future. And 
just remind us all, he said, he said two and a half to 3% for ECB. And I asked him, does that really mean 4% for mortgages? And he said, yeah, more or less, right? So I don't, what I would su- suspect is anyone who tells you exactly what's going to happen, and I'm not casting aspersions on Jim here, but anyone who tells you exactly what's going to happen, interest rates between now and Christmas is absolutely guessing. And he yeah. would admit that too, right? They're absolutely guessing. So you don't know what's going to happen in the short term. But what we can look at is, is in the long term, in and around 4% for mortgages is probably right in an ordinary functioning banking environment. It's not going to go back to where it was, down to zero. And people need to get that out of their head. It's not going to go back to 2% mortgages unless we have a major financial crisis of some sort that the central banks are forced to push it down to 0%. Remember the last time we went down to 0%, it took us 15 years to get back up off it. And 0% isn't the place to be for the ECB rate. So are you saying that 4%... Not 4% of an increase from this point that it should hover around the 4%. Yeah. So when you're forward. looking at mortgage interest rates, they should be in and around 4%. 4%. That means some fixed might be cheaper than that and some fixed might be more expensive. The variable might be up and down from that. But the average should be in and around 4%. And But remember, that's an ordinary functioning banking environment. We far from have that here in Ireland. Yeah. And with... I suppose, with you just admitting that now. So do you have any other opinions on how it will look in the next year or so for uh, Ireland? Yeah. So what I would say is, is I don't know exactly what's going to happen. My my guess, and it is a big guess, is I do think, and Jim and I spoke about this earlier, I do think that we're going to level off for a while with the rate rises. And what you will find is that levelling off then they will start to come down when they start to see inflation hitting 2% or heading towards 2%. They'll slowly come down. But I think they're going to come down very, very slowly. And I do believe the ECB will come, which would affect us here, is going to come down slower. Whatever about the UK is going to come slower down than the US will. Because again, in the discussion with Jim, we have a single mandate in Europe. We have to use interest rates to get inflation to 2% and keep it there. Okay, in the US, they can use interest rates. They have a dual mandate. They can use interest rates to get inflation to 2% or whatever their target rate is. But they can also use interest rates to control or spur on the economy. So they have a dual mandate and they can do either or. So I think they will be more aggressive and they will just do things faster than us because they're allowed to, I suppose. Whereas Mm -hmm. ours has to be based on where does the data suggest we're going to get to 2% in inflation and they'll use interest rates to control that. But interestingly, if you do accept that 25 to 3%, is the long-term ECB rate. Add your tracker to that and see where you're going to end up. And if you accept what Jim said earlier on, that, yeah, the standard rate's going to be in and around 4%, variable rates could be very different from that. Remember, yeah. right now we have an, we're getting an unusual vision of what interest rates look in Ireland. We, the banks here, have always, for, well, sorry, for the last 10 or 15 years, have been up there at the most expensive interest rates in Europe. Right now we're third cheapest. yeah. Right. So don't let that cod you into thinking, oh, we're going to stay like this. This is the new normal. It's not the new normal. So we have to look at what our long term history looks like to decide where long term interest rates are going to be. What I would say to people, though, is, is that because we've kind of gone there with interest rates, it's what I've said time and time again. If you're deciding on a tracker, if you're deciding on a new mortgage, if you're deciding on whether you should go fixed or variable, the most important thing is sleep. You yeah. need to be able to sleep at night without your mortgage repayment coming into your head. So whatever is right for you and specific for you, get some advice and do that. Yeah, and don't listen to everybody. I know we um, agreed our mortgage rate two years ago now. And at the time, everyone was like, you're mad to go for a mortgage now. The house prices are so expensive. Everything is so crazy at the moment. Yeah. We were told we were crazy mm. to buy a house at that point. Yeah. 
and our house has only gone up in value so far. I know yeah. things will take dips yeah. and everything, but it's only got harder from from that point. And we mm. were told at that point two years ago. So you are mad. Yeah. And what I would say there is, is anyone we we that's again here's the marketeer in you. We're going to do a full episode on property and property <laughs> prices. Yeah. So we're going to park that one just for yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But I do think, and Amanda, if you're back in with us that day, let's talk. If you don't mind, we'll talk a little bit about your Absolutely. experience and yeah, why yeah. What, what that felt like when everyone was telling you you were mad. Yeah. But interest rates, short term, not sure where they're going. Um, but I suspect that they'll probably go up a little bit more at some stage in the next six months. They'll go up. It might be immediately. It might be a little bit further on. But I think they're going to plateau for probably 12 or 15 months before we start to see them come down again. But having said that, that's what's going to happen with the ECB. We are the third cheapest in Europe at the moment. And what our banks do might be very, very different because they have a lot of meat that they could eat into to put them back at the top of the charts as the most expensive in Europe again. So that's really the questions for today. What I would say is thanks, Amanda, for coming in. Um, we're going to make you a regular for the for, for the for, for now. You did well. You we'll passed see. the test. Yeah, right. No, I don't mean that. There was never a test. That's what I mean by yeah, right. But no, thanks for coming in. And um, just to remind people, we will be collecting these questions. So if you don't get your question answered on a Saturday on Instagram, Amanda might be reaching out to you, asking you to give us a voice note and we'll use it here instead. Neil, thanks very much for joining no worries, us. No worries, glad to come in. So the reason why I wanted to talk to you today is because we're talking about big stuff. Economy, where's the world at? How are we post-COVID? Where's the world going economically? But I want to get on the ground and find out what's going on for an individual. And you're our individual today, okay. right? Okay. So I just want to understand where the world is at. How is it impacting you? Now, what I will say to you is... I don't know. We've never met before. I don't know much about you, um, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to ask you to pull out your bank statements and start looking at them. But just give me an idea of your professional setup and your personal setup and where are you at in life? Okay. So I work in tech. Okay. And I also have a side business. I do coaching. Okay. I came back to Ireland in 2017. Where were you? I was in Australia for 11 years. Okay. So I was pretty well set up renting in Australia, accident with my dad didn't see myself coming back here for a long period of time, um, maybe six to 12 months max, back to Australia, see what happens. Got back to Ireland, moved back into my parents' house. That was the plan for, like I said, for six months. And Sorry, did you say your dad had an accident? My dad, he, he long story, but he, he essentially had, he was going in for a bypass. Right. It was delayed. He was taken in for a second time. It was delayed. That's what kept me kind of rolling at home. Okay. He didn't have the bypass. He's doing well. One thing led to another and I just decided, okay, I'm going to give it a go here and see how things pan mm. out. So you were kind of brought back to help him through a medical situation was, and you kind of kept dragging on and you kept, yeah, you're, my, you're finding here, you're yeah, six years little, later, you're still here. I was back with friends, family. My brother had a boy in 2017. My sister had a little boy. So I was kind of caught up back in the whole, yeah. the scenario of family again. And I thought, do I really want to go back and spend a long time in Australia and miss out on all these small mm. little things. So I just decided I would I would give it two years then. I signed up to do a master's. Right. I took my time looking for work, which probably wasn't the smartest idea because I was burning through money. Got okay. it. I work in tech. You're working for somebody else in tech, are you? You've got a, you're an employee and a I'm tech. I'm a contractor. Worker. So okay. I was working for myself mm. and the market here was quite good. Still is good, obviously. In 2017, I, I hung around for maybe six to eight months. And then I took a job. Okay. And 
I had a, a plan in my head that I was going to be out of home within 12 months of that. Okay. And that all changed. And you're Great. six years in, you're still at home. And I'm going to talk to you about home. that. Yeah, Tell yeah. me, just before we jump on to where you're still at home, your coaching business, what type of coaching business? It looks like PT or something by the look of you, is it? No, no, no everybody assumes it's, uh, <laughs> okay, fair it's, enough. it's behavioral change. Well, so, I, so I did a master's in personal and management coaching. And I was against going into like to work on staff and companies. And I just wanted to try and build up something from the ground for myself. Right. Just to have extra incoming in, it's it's a, a it's passion. a minefield. Well, it's not just a it is a passion, but it, it's a tough business. There's a lot of coaches out there. It's an unregulated market. And you have to put a lot of time and a lot of work into marketing yourself. Mm. So a little part of me was struggling with that. I was also, I was holding down, like I said, a contracting job. I train a lot. Okay. So the, the background there is if, if you paint a picture in my head, basically you were in Australia for 11 years, you went out there, you planned on coming home for a little while, but you stayed. When you came back, all of life and being in Ireland yeah, caught yeah. you in. And here you are six years later, Yeah, you are living at home. You're in your... I'm 45. 45. Okay. So you're 45 years of age. I take the compliment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. That's the PT stuff yeah. that I... That's the same compliment I gave you a second ago with the PT <laughs> thing. But... You're 45 years of age and yes, you've took a big stint out of your adult life and went off to Australia and came back yeah. again. So that's obviously going to change your life plan. Absolutely. Are you happy living at home? Do you want to be there? Um, I'm sure you're happy there, but do you want to be there? No, would you prefer to be there? Absolutely not. No, I don't want to be there. I mean, when you tell people this, you can see the dismay in their face and they're like, what are you still doing at home? Mm. Probably detrimental to relationships. Right. Um, yeah, sorry, can I ask? Do you have a partner? I'm single. You're no. single? Okay. So, I'm single, I've no kids, and that's probably made it completely easier. Right. Um, so I'm I'm a walking red flag in some ways. <laughs> right. But at the same time, yeah, you have to give a context around that. I came back to Ireland in 2017 and I made one or two mistakes in terms of I didn't see my long-term living arrangement being in Ireland. So every my financial situation yeah. was pretty much tied up with a pension in Australia. And then you have the tax system, uh currency exchange I was essentially when I came back here I was starting from scratch again So financially you were kind of living a hybrid life in terms exactly. of Yeah you were kind of am I still financially in Australia am I, am I here one in leg here one yeah, leg Where there. am I settled and now you are settled back in Ireland. you're not going to Australia now at this stage well, right? well again that's I know you were talking to Jim earlier but when you look at the, the bigger financial picture here I still don't know is buying here at this time is probably a little bit out of my reach in terms of for what I want mm. The rental market is so crazy. It's mm. There is no solid foundation for people who are renting in the market. Mm. So you're at home, and again, we're not going to go into the specifics, but are you in a position if you needed to put a deposit down on something you wanted to, could yeah. you? You are. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but again, and, and, and I kind of feel, I'm, I'm aware that you're going to have people listening who, who have gone home out of necessity. That's what I was trying to explain. I have been in that position where... I was at home out of necessity. I felt the first two years that I was back here, I had no choice. But do you think there's any part of you holding off to say, I want to see where my love life goes before I buy? Lately, a little bit, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I've just, I've thought logistics, it's probably easier to buy with somebody. Mm. I'm not holding out for it. Um, you also seem to have a, social, a, a kind of a, a connection to your savings that you're worried that this is your one shot and if it's gone I'm and I get it wrong. And I, I just worry, is that holding you back too? Um, look, I, in, in 2007, I had a substantial deposit saved. I was after spending three, four years working every hour, God sent, saving everything I had. 
And I had an idea in my head in my head of of what I wanted. I was a little shy of the deposit, and I made a ridiculous. I basically I lost the whole thing. Could you mind me telling you how gambling? To, gambling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And sure. did you gamble in the whole like? Uh, I, um, that's, that's a completely different. But <laughs> like, were you? Was it an addiction? No. No. It was an eight month period of madness, but at the same time, I wow, Neil. I learned. I lost 35,000 in three weeks. What type was, of gambling were you doing? What were you betting on? I was in a casino. Ridiculous. I'll say this. I had a couple of months of where it was amazing. I was, I was earning more in the casino than I was in my job. Right. And the savings were going up, 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 and up. I'd taken three or four holidays. I'd gone to New York. I'd spent, I'd gone on a skiing holiday. I bought my parents' TV. Little things, small things. It kind of gave me this rush. It was like a lease of life. And, and over that eight months, did you start gambling and finish gambling all yeah, in the same eight all, months? All done. Up, down, pff, done. I was like, I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying it, but at the end of it, I was a complete wreck. I was an emotional wreck. And it, it has sat with me for a long time. The main reason it sat with me is because um, I've watched my dad work hard for his whole life. Mm. My dad's put a, a roof, or he bought his house, he's fed, clothed, and put all his kids through education and he's done it through hard work and graft. Do you know what? That 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 element of your story and that big part of your story changes my perception quite a bit because <laughs> you built up that money. You then, I, I'm, go, I'm going to say, you lost it all yeah. very quickly. That must have been incredibly painful. It sent you across the other side of the world for 11 years by the sounds of it. Yeah. You've come back, you've built up savings again. I'm not surprised you have an emotional attachment to that money now. Yeah. Like that's what I feel like that's why I don't have the embarrassment around living at home. And also I think people can judge you very quickly without context to your story. Mm. I'm not here for sympathy or I made yeah. a stupid yeah. mistake. Yeah. Um You don't gamble now. No, I don't. You I, haven't I, in years. I was in the casino once or twice with friends in Las Vegas and yeah. and I felt like I wanted to test myself just to see. But I'm also really thankful and I'm grateful on some level that it happened because when you look at the timing of it, this was the first time I'd ever discussed buying a house. I think I was like 26 at the time. And I asked my parents to go guarantor on the loan. And it was just before everything kicked off in 2000. I'd have financially destroyed them mm. myself. So in some ways, I feel like there was a lesson. Mm. I know losing that amount of money is not great. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel in long term, the bigger picture was... I saved myself a lot of hassle and I did, and there was a lot of growth and, and self-development. It's it's probably why I got into the coaching. I, I wanted to understand where I was and what I was doing. I, mm. Like I genuinely did. I landed in, in Sydney, Australia with 750 something in my bank account. I'll never forget it. I didn't ask for a loan. I used a credit card. I, was, I got a job within about 10 days and I through two or three really good friends. They put me up, they helped me out. It's funny because when we were kind of putting the show together today and we're saying, yeah, what we really want to get is we want to get someone who's at home, in a good job. You were perfect on paper in terms yeah. of at home, in a good job, mid-40s. And you know what? I was expecting a big row. Isn't it terrible what society has done? It, but it's actually not. It's no, more circumstance for you and you want to get the right fit and you want to do the right thing and get it right. Oh, don't get me wrong, I come in here with the intention to to vent today. Yeah. But you have to take some account. I'm in where I am because of me. It's not because of society. It's not because of the government. It's not because of public policies. I've, I've made certain choices and it has come at a cost. 
Okay, right. Let's bring it back around. So what we are hearing from you is, is you don't really think like it's kind of your life choices have brought to where you are. Yes, it would be easier if house prices were cheaper. Of course it would. Yeah. Um, if I give you a bit of advice, and I know you've been mortgage approved twice before, and I don't know why it fell through. You're not mortgage approved right now, are you? No, no. I'd recommend you go off and get mortgage approved. See how much you can actually get. And just play with daft the same way you might play with Tinder. On yeah. a night. Okay. And just see if anything Three takes hours her. in bed every night. <laughs> <laughs> just see how, it, what something might just click with you and say, you yeah. know, and I think once you know my limit is here, you don't look at the stuff above that because you're only just teasing yourself, yeah. right? You're just, it's pointless, right? If I can give you the analogy, looking at Daft and my, my home without mortgage approval is a bit like looking at Tinder if you're in a, a relationship you're happy in. Okay. Get Does that make excited. sense? Total sense. Yeah. So there's a <laughs> excited was I'm the wrong word. My point here is is that like what are you doing on Tinder if you're in a good relationship? I know. You I don't know want any saying. you don't know yeah. you, you don't want any of that stuff, right? Yeah. So go and get yourself mortgage approval. See what's in price range. Yeah. Put your area in, yeah. right? And say, right, there's my area, there's my price limit. And just keep an eye out because you mightn't buy today, you mightn't buy next year, yeah. but at least you've got a good idea of what's going on okay. in the area that you want to live in. Yeah, I appreciate that. Can yeah. I ask you one question? Of course you can, yeah. What's your take on investing versus purchasing real estate? So this is a really interesting one for you in your circumstance. If you could say to me, I'm definitely not going to buy something in the next five years, I'd be saying to you, take your money, sit on deposit and stick it into a long-term investment. There are stats out there that will show you if you strip, particularly if you strip the lending element out of it. So you think about it, if you buy a house for 100,000 euros, 10,000 euros of your own money and 90,000 euros of a loan, and that goes up, that property price goes up by 10%, it's gone up to 110 and you've doubled your 10 grand, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And those can skew all the numbers about saying, oh, property is great. Property with gearing is, yeah. can the numbers can be very skewed. I would say to you, if you can make a longer term decision, a five-year plus decision, leaving your money sitting in a bank account, is not the best idea yeah. in the world at all. And in fairness, you've been back for six years. I don't know how long you've been building your deposit up over, but you would be much further ahead today if five years ago I had to sat down with you and said, look, you're not going to, we know for a fact you're not going to buy in the next five years, yeah. so let's save in a different way. Yeah. But if, if you know what your ultimate decision is and you can put a five-year time horizon on it, I'm going to put this money away for five years, well, then you need to do something else yeah. with the money. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's good advice. What a whistle's top tour of the world economy. Jim, I found superb. I really love the way Jim's able to tell us what's going on, but in a way that hopefully everybody understands because it certainly makes a huge amount of sense to me. And the feeling I get from Jim is, look, we've had a really turbulent time. Nobody could have foreseen COVID. Nobody could have expected it. But yet we did, as a global economy, we did really, really well. But also... I really got a positive feel from about where Ireland is right now. We're in a good place. We have unemployment under control. We have a huge population and we've lots of good things going for us. And then his insight, which funny enough happened to agree with my own, which is great because it gives me confidence and it gives me a bit of an ego boost. But The Economist says what I say, which is that the long-term mortgage interest rates in a well-functioning, well-organized banking environment are around 4%. That's where we're at. We got your Q&As, which was great. And we want to keep getting more of your content. That's what these episodes are all about. We want to hear from you and talk to you about what you want to talk about. And then Neil. Like, honestly, I expected Neil to come in and we were going to have this rant about why society is so unfair. But actually what happened with Neil was 
you get to hear the personal story behind the statistics. There's lots of things that stop people buying houses, getting on the property ladder. And Neil has lots of the reasons behind, some of them financial, some of them just what he wants is just outside his grasp. But then he has other life things going on as well. And that's why I love money, because money is all about the people behind us. Money means different things to different people. What I'm hoping you've got from this episode is that you've got a sense of hope that things aren't as bad as sometimes the news cycle will lead you to believe, the headlines will lead you to believe. They're not easy either. We've had terrible problems with inflation and interest rates and what can we do about it? And what I'd like you to take from this episode is I'd like you to take into your own control the things that you can control. I really think when we look at it and I think the simple basic 101 tip or trick I have for you today is to try and identify the difference between your conscious and your subconscious spending. In simple terms, what adds value to your life and what doesn't add value to your life? What are you spending money on that doesn't add value to your life? The easy way to do that, for the next week, every time you go to spend money, and don't change your spending habits, every time you go to spend money, I want you to take out your phone, I want you to write down, cup of coffee, 280, pair of jeans, 80 quid, whatever it is, every time you spend money, write it down in your notes section of your phone. This day next week, Have a look, set a reminder on your phone as well. This day next week, take out a pen and paper. Something happens our brain when we take out a pen and paper. It just, the words just go in deeper. Take out a pen and paper, put a line down the middle of the pen and paper, and on one side write subconscious spending, on the other side write conscious spending. And I want you to take your notes from your phone and put everything into one side or the other. Subconscious didn't add any value to my life conscious added value to my life. When you finish that list, your subconscious spending list, or you have a list of all the stuff that didn't add value to your life and you know how much of each of them cost. You tot that up and whether that's €2.50, €25 or quid that you spent last week, that is money that you can strip out of your spending. It's completely in your control. You can strip it out of your spending and guess what? You now have that to tackle whatever it is you want to do. Debt, savings, deposit for a house, whatever it is, you have that every week. But it's for free because you haven't reduced the value you place on the things that are important to you. You haven't reduced your lifestyle. You've just stripped out the stuff, the leakage from your wallet that's been spent on stuff that doesn't actually matter to you. I know this stuff is simple. I know it's straightforward. But I'm a big believer. I kind of hate the phrase control your controllables because it's been used so much, but it does make sense to me. I'm a big believer in there's big macro stuff going on. We heard about it from Jim. The stuff that we have no control over. Yes, have an interest. Yes, dissect it and understand it and understand where it might go in the future. But don't let yourself lose sleep over it. There's only a certain amount of stuff that you can control. And by you controlling that stuff, you're taking responsibility for what's going on inside your door. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. This is the first one. We don't know where this goes. This is probably the most raw you're ever going to get it. I hope you enjoyed it. Do us a favour. Follow us. Give us an L follow and watch as we progress and go on this journey with us, please. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.